0: Before we get into this week's podcast, we want to tell you about the people that make this show possible. We hope that you can go out and support these people that make this great content available to you. And let's talk about our friends over in Mohawk Honda. No matter where you're listening across upstate New York, from Syracuse to Ithaca to us, we go to Watertown to Auburn, New York to Mexico. It doesn't matter where you're listening. We want to make sure you make the drive to Glenville, New York. So you can work with people that you can trust during the car buying experience. It's that important. Trust me, so many people are looking for a new ride. The biggest thing I hear back from people is, I don't want to feel that pushy pressure feel. I want to make sure I get the right price, the money that I deserve back for my vehicle and more. You have that place in Mohawk Honda. I know from experience. I had that same type of feel trying to find a new car. What was I supposed to do? Could I fit it my budget? And now sitting in my driveway, 2022 Pilot EXL. Brand new vehicle, perfect with the car seat, family's happy, room, great on mileage and more. You can have that bragging right for yourself just by heading over to Mohawk Honda in Glenville, New York. Say hello to Cam McKenna, who I work with, Brian McKenna. We're going to be there Thursday, by the way, coming up Thursday, September 22nd. Right there, watch the show and learn more by following them on social media, Mohawk Honda. Shout out to Greg Johnson, Lindsay Heron, and more, where they always go out of their way to please you. And our friends over at Johnstone Supply in Troy, George and his crew have been helping people across upstate New York for decades, and now they can continue to help you. We are into the fall. It feels good. My favorite time of the year, it's that shorts and hoodie weather. There's nothing better than that. Now, when you're in your home, you might be having some issues. Maybe your house isn't heated properly. You kind of put it off until the fall. Don't worry. Our friends at Johnstone Supply and Troy can help you. Give them a call today. 518-272-5922. Write that number down on your phone. You might need it. Furnace, boiler, heating system, AC, whatever you're looking for. Just save it. Johnstone Supply and Troy, Godzilla Media Podcast. I remember these guys. Here's the number again. 518-272-5922. You can ask for George A hey, George, I heard about it from Godzilla Media Looking to have some help done in my home, and they will give you the advice that you need. Or stop into the store. It's 6th Avenue in Troy. If you have that fall project on the way, you want those competitive prices on supplies that you need for that big project, say what's up to the staff. They will help you. Supporters of Godzilla Media since day one, we appreciate those guys, especially a family business like Johnstone Supply in Troy. One more time 518 272 is the number. And John Stone Supply and why give George and everybody over there some love. We appreciate their support as always. Now, on to this week's episode of Getting There with (laughs) Gods. another episode here of getting there with guys, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes coaches media members business owners from upstate new york i love when we have a little mix of everything around these conversations because this guy tim forbes got a little mix of everything out in central new york looking forward to sharing his story but tim for those who may not know you maybe the first time you're introduced to an upstate new york audience maybe a little further east or north uh, let's go back to the beginning a younger yeah. tim forbes six seven eight years old Where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be as a kid? And was that same dream job you wanted when you were 18?
1: Uh, Wow. Well, so I grew up in Mexico, New York, which a lot of people don't really know where that is, but it's uh, about 30 miles or so north of Syracuse, uh, right in the snow belt, right by Lake Ontario. So, When I describe my childhood, when people don't understand where Mexico, New York is, I tell them that for fun in the wintertime, we used to get so much snow that we would put a ladder up against our garage and go up there with like a sled or a tube or whatever and go down from the roof all the way into our backyard. And and that was what was fun in Mexico, New York, because there's. Uh two stoplights, a McDonald's, a couple pizza joints, and then just the one watering hole where everyone gathers uh as long as they stay in Mexico. But uh when I was a kid, yeah, you know, I played baseball, I played soccer, I played basketball, uh, really fell in love with basketball and baseball, put soccer on the side. Um, and I had a dream of being an NBA player, just like any young basketball player. I was tall, um, yeah I was relatively gifted as an athlete and um but but being from Mexico, that's not exactly the the spot you're getting the most exposure so uh you know growing up, I had a really great childhood and uh was very thankful for that and um you know pretty pretty well known around the area in terms of just this small town, everyone knows everyone basically um but going to high school you know i was a three-year starter varsity basketball i quit baseball which is a slight regret of mine as i've gotten older and realized i didn't know i was going to be six four and i'm a lefty and i was pitching so who knows where i'd be if i stuck with it but uh that's you know a story for another day um but in high school i played basketball for three years on the varsity team, uh, three year starter, uh, got some sniffs from some D3 schools, um, some some pretty good opportunities, but uh, decided that I wanted to go to Le Moyne College in Syracuse. My sister went there and uh, I just fell in love with the campus. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Um, turns out that was not the case <laughs> once I realized what, what work went into it. So uh, and then uh, when i went to le Moyne, i scrimmaged with the basketball team for the first couple of months really when i got there and uh, made a lot of friends had a lot of fun and then tryouts came around and i was trying out to be a walk-on which i was already kind of a little skeptical about after playing for three years as a starter barely sitting the bench and then knowing that i was going to basically be a practice player and traveling and sitting on a bench for the rest of my basketball career um i guess it's maybe a blessing in disguise that i was cut um but i say that now at the time (laughs) one of the hardest things i've ever been through in my life um at the time that is trust me i've been through many trials and tribulations since but (laughs) at the time you know went into a bit of a depression realizing that my basketball career was over i wasn't going to be you know playing at madison square garden for the knicks and uh that's when uh I guess I started taking education a little bit more seriously, changed my majors and uh, graduated with a communications degree and then uh, went to Cumulus. And that's when I met you.
0: Let's back that a little bit uh, as much sure, as I yeah, like no, talk I mean, about you and I,
1: no, no, as <laughs> much as I talk about you and I, I want to go back to the decision
0: about college because yeah. uh, you mentioned the D3 opportunities, D3 sniffs, And I feel like a lot of people, we, we've touched on it with a few people in the past, but it's always great to get that perspective of someone who's gone through the recruiting process like yourself there are some younger 17, 18-year-olds, and this could be you, maybe it's not, that look at Division three, and they're like, ah, I mean, that's not what I hope for. I hope for a okay. scholarship. I hope for money. Maybe I just feel like I believe in myself more. And there's so many athletes who passed on the D3 and did the FCS, FBS, D2, walk on it, it worked out. But when you made that decision, you know what? Division three basketball is not going to be for me. I'm going to just be, quote, unquote, a regular student at LeMoyne was there any type of view, maybe within, I know you mentioned walking on, but like, man, maybe I should get out of here quick. Like, you know, you know, it's, it feels like you kind of already answered it, but it was burning for you. Then it's like, I, my focus isn't even on my academics. I haven't left yeah. athletics behind and It's almost hurting my academics.
1: I graduated in 2014. So it was really before there was much transferring that went on. I'm sure it went on well before I was even in college, but, uh, I I pretty much just accepted it. Like it wasn't meant to be, I'm not going to be playing basketball. You know, I still play men's leagues. I played intramurals when I was in school and that was fun and met a lot of friends and had a lot of fun with that. But, um, I just was really, it was kind of radical acceptance. Like, well, sorry, kid, your career is over as far as playing anywhere. So just kind of deal with it. But, uh, I, there's, there's part of me that looks back and is like, "Mm, I probably should have gone D three. Um, you know, not even putting into account the student loans, because that's a whole another factor, but, uh, it would have been a lot of fun to have that team camaraderie, even at a D three level and, uh, still get a chance to play. And there were schools that, you know, they were like, Hey, you come in, you'll be like a, like a three stretch four. um, and I'm six, three, six, four. So I'm not, you know, I, I was a center in high school <laughs> you know, going up against people like Dewan Coleman from JD. And he obviously had a career at Syracuse. So that was a lot of fun. But um, <laughs> when you get to college, one of the biggest and quickest lessons that I learned was, wow, no one's really a bad player when they try out, like they're all from different schools from all over the state or even the nation. And they're coming in and, i I wish there's there's really two big things that I wish one I wish that I worked on my ball handling more because, as a six four shooting guard, basically not my position, I ever played, I had a shot, and I still do you know just, it doesn't really go <laughs> away but uh I would be a shooting guard, and I didn't really have much of a handle, so that was difficult and then um, I didn't really start lifting weights or anything like that until I got older. So I didn't have a lot of muscle mass. Like now you look at kids in high school and you're like, oh my gosh, they they're like sophomores and they look like they're juniors in college because they're just, you know, they they pass a look test obviously. But um there's definitely part of me that was like, uh maybe that wasn't the best decision, not even factoring financially, but just For keeping the ball rolling and and really still playing and and having that team camaraderie. And, you know, I missed out on hotel stays and bus rides and all that little fun stuff that people don't think about. You think about college basketball, you're playing all the time and you're practicing all the time, you're lifting all the time. But there's those little moments on the side that really build the team chemistry where you're, you know, playing video games at night in a hotel room or having a team dinner, whatever the case may be. And, and I missed out on those opportunities, but like I said, I pretty much was like radical acceptance. Like you're, you're done. And that's, that's just kind of the way it goes.
0: You made, made the move in Lemoyne. You mentioned this from teacher to communications. And there's so many different upstate New York schools that have been mentioned in the past, especially when we talked to past media members, whether it be Syracuse, Ithacos, Wego, there's a bunch of different ones that have that more focus on sports broadcasting when you make that transition from education to communications, is the thought being on the air? Is it more like a GM? Is it an agent? When you make that move to communication at a school like LeMoyne, which with no disrespect, not known as one of the most upstate New York on-air broadcast schools, what was the initial right. thought of the communications path?
1: Well, I, I had into my head, you know, it'd be really cool kind of a pipe dream to be like a sports broadcaster, but I also knew I wasn't a new house. So... Knowing that it was just like, well, there's you know, pretty much no chance. There's there's a chance for everything, but um, I'm sure it's very small <laughs> to, to make it out of Lemoyne. But um, really, I had one professor specifically that taught a radio class, and he mentioned to me one time, uh, just I was staying late working on a project, and we were talking back and forth, and he's like, you know. I don't really know what you want to do out of this, but I have a friend who's in media sales. He lives in California and he made so much money that he took an entire year off, flew his family down to Hawaii and just vacation. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And that stuck with me. I mean, enough to, to talk about it, you know, six, seven years later. So when I got out of school or when I was approaching getting out of school, I was like, That was in my head where I was like, oh, I can go into media sales and make a lot of money. I'm in Syracuse. I'm not in Los Angeles, California. So it didn't exactly work out that way, as we know. But um, what it came down to was uh, there were some classes that I really didn't enjoy. And then realizing, um, not to say I took it the easy way out, but I kind of did because I was like, "Eh, do I want to stay up late lesson planning? Do I want to... Uh, follow all these curriculums and and get my master's and eventually maybe a doctorate and all that, all that, you know, education when I'm already starting to understand, wow, I'm going to be severely in debt when I get out of here. Um, but it was really uh, a conscious choice to do something that I really enjoy because I I love little kids. And that was kind of the route I was going to take. My sister's a kindergarten teacher. So I thought, you know, I could teach little kids. That would be fun. I'm relatively likable around children i think and i connect with them but um that whole broadcasting thing was cool and then the, the idea of being on the radio was cool and then uh you know on the side we haven't gotten to this yet but i'm a musician so that was in my head too like that's maybe a stepping stone to get somewhere with my music so it just made sense at the time to uh to switch majors and I ended up graduating communications, minor in English literature, which was just kind of by chance that I took the right courses because I don't know what I'm going to do with a minor (laughs) in English literature. But another cool uh, minor that I did have was uh, advanced writing, which helped me as I furthered my career, whether it was doing something as simple as writing a cover letter or uh, what I really enjoyed doing later on in my career in radio was writing copy.
0: Yes. I'm glad you mentioned copy because that is something we have never touched on in getting there with Goss. It is a skill set that is slowly getting lost and the unique path for you. And I, I hope thinking back, my timeline is right because I'm thinking back like this is, again, something I've never talked to somebody about before with your path of you get into media sales. But your first job in media is actually on the air production, working your way into sales. Take us through that process of how you actually get your foot into the door and not a sales job, but as a part of an actual on-air staff.
1: So I had a few jobs in between, which we'll touch on briefly. One was at Walmart and I was a uh, a cashier. My buddy was my manager. So that's kind of why I got in there. That <laughs> was fun for a summer. And then uh, they wouldn't let me take time off to go back to school. So I just kind of stopped going. So <laughs> it's not exactly on my resume, but um, that's Okay. Uh, and then I worked at UPS and I worked like the, the twilight shift and lifting packages. I ended up messing up my back cause I'm super tall. And for, you know, that type of work, you're doing a lot of upper body lifting. And I just didn't really have that strength at the time. So uh, I was really just kind of fishing for something. And then Wait, uh, the Olive Garden's in there. Don't don't forget about the OG. I thought the Olive Garden was in there. Oh, I never worked at Olive Garden. I've never been in the service. Oh, I thought. Wait, in was your girlfriend OG. at one point at the OG? Yeah, yeah, she was. Uh, at yeah, the my OG. memory wasn't far off. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I thankfully have never worked service. Not taking that. You know, no offense to anyone who works in service is can be a great career, but that's not for me. So I never really uh, took that path. But um, I'd known. Through my brother in law Mike Lindsley, for a few years, not really super close, but knew of him, knew he had his radio show and uh he came up to me with an opportunity and said, "Hey, I'm looking for a producer. Can you send like a mock highlight reel type like mid uh break update like at the top of the hour or a half hour whatever you you know might hear on e s p n or or whatever you're listening to?" um to me and I'll send it to our operations manager and uh and see if you know he wants to move forward with maybe hiring you. Uh so I did a Google search and was like, what is a sports update? <laughs> <laughs> and I rambled on, ended up having like probably six different anecdotes in the update, which is way too much. I think I talked faster than any time I've ever talked in my life, which I'm a pretty relaxed guy. So uh i I didn't really understand the cadence and how fast you had to do things in terms of giving an actual update like that so i sent it off and and they were relatively happy and they put me in in touch with the manager operations manager and i sat down with him and and he's like you know we want to hire you and that's where i started i started on the score 1260 um in the cell with ml three to six monday through friday i was a producer
0: as much as I have questions about like production of a radio show and guest booking and all that stuff. And I know Mike's probably going to kill me when he listens be like, come on guys, ask me questions about that. I'm going to kind of just move over that because I'm far more interested. And I think a lot of people, especially young producers, and I know you know this from experience, young producers are going to go through this in their early twenties and think, man, this is a grind. Like I'm not making as much money as I need to be, even though it's really cool being on a sports show. Like I got to find a way to add a little bit of money to the income. Now you're doing this in the mid 2010s, 2022, the world, especially in the media landscape is different. You can use social media, monetizing, paywalls, all that stuff. But take us through what eventually led you from that producer role to joining the sales staff there at Cumulus Media.
1: (laughs) Well, I had some friends that I met being a producer that were on the sales team. And I think we were at lunch one time and uh, a new regime was coming in. One boss was leaving. Another one was coming in and a couple of the guys I were talking, was talking to, uh, we met at the distillery at the time um, on Erie Boulevard in Syracuse for a Bills game. And they're like, Hey, you know, we're looking for sales guys. You've got great communication skills. We like you. Why don't you go talk to the boss in the morning at some point and and see if maybe she'd be interested in interviewing you. And I was like, You know, I'll think about it for sure, because that was kind of my foot in where, I mean, producing was my foot in, but really like having their blessing, like, hey, we want you if you are up for this, was a really nice way of kind of confirming that this is maybe my path that I should take at the time. So I threw a suit on looking back way oversized (laughs) a 90s nba player dare we yeah pretty much like like the the carmelo or d wade uh 2003 draft night suit. and uh, i I think like tj ford like his shorts were like basically touching his ankles um
0: (laughs) same bonaventure by the way there's an ml reference that's the greatest picture of all time with the dude down at his ankles but yes but go (laughs) on
1: uh so I went in and talked to her and explained kind of what I did. And she knew of me a little bit. She was pretty fresh. So she gave me a shot and um, started with the whole training thing. I had to do a presentation to kind of get as like the interview. Uh, there was a formal interview part and then the rest of it. And then um, I was shadowing some of the sales guys. You were one of them. I don't think I necessarily shadowed you It was more so uh couple of friends Dan and Charlie at the time, which man, talk about a blast from the past. And uh ironically enough, I met those guys and got closer with them when we were doing um the Thirsty Thursday segments on on the score. And that was way too much fun. More fun <laughs> than you should ever have in race, right? <laughs> and probably illegal as well. But um <laughs> we don't have to get into logistics here. Um yeah and then uh they gave me an offer which was to start and to try and make money for the company and and that's what i did and i didn't really have a sales background i just had communication skills and i was relatively likable from you know person to person standpoint so just got on those phones and started cold calling
0: it's tough, man, especially at that spot where we're in that, again, I mentioned that transition phase of like mid-2010s heading into the 2020s where radio and I call it non-traditional media and media, that's the traditional sense, is kind of blending and and businesses don't know where to go and how to set the prices and everything else. But yeah. for you, at some point here within that sales process, you bring on, arguably, besides Syracuse University, one of the biggest sports accounts you can Take us through what happens when you land the Syracuse Chiefs last Mets and what it's like working with a sports team as their account executive.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was a blessing that just kind of fell into my lap, which was really wild. Uh, the person that was running the account, the, the AE on the account, uh, had some health issues and ended up being out for quite a bit longer than expected. So, excuse me, someone had to fill in and they gave it to me and, uh, you know, that was, that was great. Cause it gave me, you know, a certain amount of money towards my budget for a good six months of the year from April to basically September, October. I don't even know if that's six months. I can't do math in my head like that, which is why I'm not an education guys. Um, but yeah, they gave it to me and, and that was fun because that was, uh, spending time at the ballpark and getting to meet that staff and the GM Jason Smorrow became a close friend and and the rest of the staff, Kathleen and and Katie and and everyone over there at the time. They, most of them are still there. And uh it was a big responsibility because those um spots that they ran, and I'm sure you've probably gone through like Radio 101 where I can say spots and people understand it's commercials. The commercials that they ran were uh It was a very robust schedule on all stations. So even doing that and putting the orders in was very, you had to be very meticulous and make sure you didn't put something in wrong. And there's a trade component to it because we got tickets we could give to clients and take them out for events and everything. So there was a lot to it, but it was a good introduction to handling a bigger account because it quickly became my biggest account. And then uh, it had some really cool perks with it too. Like, you know, I had a media pass where I could go into the press box and talk to the guys who were doing the radio play by play. And at the time, even though I was in sales, I was still producing some of the Mets games. Well, some of the chiefs games at the time, but now they're the Mets uh, in the studio. So I was, you know, firing off commercial breaks and doing the the updates for all sorts of different things uh, every couple innings. And uh I became really close with some folks over there and, and uh, you know, I felt like I, I belonged there and, and having that media pass, didn't have to ever buy a ticket. I could just walk in, kind of roll around, sit wherever I wanted. And, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to see Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, like all these pretty significant players that came through on the Nationals. Because that's who the the chiefs were the the farm team for at the time, and uh it was really a great opportunity just from a networking standpoint met you know some more people who uh did business with the chiefs and not to say that I was poaching accounts, but I certainly had conversations with other folks that may have led to some more business and it was a really good opportunity and and pretty wild opportunity considering my tenure or lack of tenure at cumulus at the time so it was it was a really nice nice thing to receive
0: i want to reverse back to something because people who are in media you said something that's probably triggered their mind like wait wait a second he said he was the account executive, but he also was producing the games. Now, some yeah. other account executives probably think that's the greatest thing you've ever heard because now you know your spots are going to run because you are controlling <laughs> it. And you there are no complaints from a 22-year-old on the board that your spots didn't run, and you've got to get an earful. Yeah. The reason I believe, and I don't want to, you know, I'm just guessing because I was in that building, you're running that because uh, a part-time producer may not have been there and you're just like, hey, I'll help and I don't mind. that That's kind of why that mix is there, correct? Just for those media people who might have been confused by that?
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. it wasn't often. I was kind of on a fill-in basis. When I was producing for The Score, I was doing it all the time like there were nights where geez guys they would go into extra innings and i'd be there till you know midnight twelve thirty, because i had to stay after and make sure yep. everything was good all the spots after the game ran and everything so um at the time i wasn't doing a ton of that as an ae but it certainly was part of the job uh from from a standpoint of um, there's a producer that can't make it or, you know, he's got a flat tire. Can you stick around and do the Mets or this, the Chiefs games? And, you know, it's it's extra money. It was – and and sometimes it was fun. You know, if there, was, as there was one game specifically that I remember very fondly, and it was a Father's Day uh, back when Tony Gwynn Jr. was playing. And this was, like, almost to the day a year after Tony Gwynn Sr. passed away, and he hit the walk-off. Uh, base hit up the middle to, to win the game. And that was one of the cooler moments that I produced for. And then the other thing that people don't understand is I'm also in the back chopping clips up for highlights um, and throwing them in a folder so they can be ran during Mike's show the following day or uh, the next day during pregame um, Kevin Brown at the time, who is now Orioles broadcaster, which small world, but um, you know, he's made a big, uh, and And Eric Galanti is also doing some sports uh team somewhere. I'm not exactly sure Boston college, yeah, so uh, you know, two guys that were in Syracuse broke out and and had quite a or have successful careers um but the the other thing that is is kind of worth mentioning is in between innings and stuff we're bantering back and forth talking sports. It was a lot of fun to just have someone that is so sports minded um that you can just chat with back and forth and i i knew all the players i knew what season they were having and it was it was a lot of fun but as far as to go back to actually being an ae that wasn't too common for me to do that but i certainly did fill in from time to time
0: and just answer the unpredictability you mentioned how much fun a baseball broadcast can be especially on radio where it really feels like you're sitting next to somebody having a beer and just watching the game together uh i, I have to sneak in one wrestling reference and just in case we don't at one point to add Pretty to the unpredictability on. right like i remember working a game with uh jason benetti and kevin brown where it went so long in a double header i was having a summer slam party i know you came over to my old crib back in the queue for a <laughs> rumble party uh, i had a summer slam party with my buddies and the game went so long. They all had the party at my house without me. I never came. Uh, all my friends were at my house without me. The the scene sure was a
1: great host.
0: Oh, he loved it. He loved it. He didn't care. Some yeah. was in there. Uh, so let's talk about. Well, you've used it a little bit, right? Like you make the decision at one point to move away from media sales, and let's go through it. Was it yeah. a situation of obstacles? Did you look at the industry? Was it a lifestyle? Maybe all of it. What was your eventual decision of why you moved away from the media sales world?
1: So I think a lot of people that aren't in media sales or that have potentially looked into taking that career path might not understand that sales can be very lucrative, but you have to grind. Like it's the ultimate grind and it's 100% commission. So if you don't get hit budget or get close to budget or exceed budget, you're concerned if you can pay the light bill or, you know, I, I had student loans that were piling up and there was only so much that I could put off for the time being. So really it came down to a decision financially. Like I had a really good run four years is pretty solid in one uh, market for media sales guy or, or woman, but um, it came down to really I needed something that was more stable that I wasn't too concerned with. Oh, this, this client just decided to cancel their annual halfway through it. So that, you know, 12 grand or whatever I had that was lined up for the rest of the year. Now that's gone. So how am I going to make that up? Well, you know, you're calling. That's the other thing In, in, in the world of media sales. You're calling everyone. You're calling car dealerships, you're calling uh, universities, schools, w- whatever the case is, but you're also calling a groomer. You're calling an a ice cream shop. Like these places, these places are spending maybe like 250 bucks a month and your budgets can be forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a month. And you're just like, whew, gets a little nerve wracking, not a little nerve wracking. Like there were times when I was like, this is Almost impossible. Um, so, I started looking around a little bit, and uh, thankfully, one of my buddies from Lemoyne, who's incredibly successful uh, business owner, he sells uh, solar panels and, and solar energy. Happened to talk to my now manager and and said, uh, you know, if you're looking for a sales guy, you should really give give Tim Forbes a shot. He's been a Cumulus for four years, but I don't know exactly what he said, but, um, my boss now reached out to me on LinkedIn was like, Hey, you know, if you're ever interested in making a jump to a different type of sales, um, I'd be willing to have conversation with you. So I met him for coffee. They, he gave me a really good pitch that I was very on board with and went home, talked to my girlfriend at the time, wife, wife at the time. Well, wife, And, uh, we, uh, I decided it was the right choice to make. And, um, yeah, it it was kind of a blessing in disguise again, because it's funny how things work out. Like I'm a firm believer in things happening for a reason, but the, the circumstances of radio worked out really well because that was fun. And that got me into my career, got me some sales chops and everything. But this situation I started in my new job that I'm at now in February of 2020, about maybe six weeks before the world shut down.
0: It's amazing that you just offered that perspective because you got out before COVID hit. And I think we need to do this for people who are either entrepreneurs, uh, young business people who are going to get out of college and want to create their own brands because it feels like the uh, amount of that that's hitting the market now post-COVID because of jobs change and everything else is so much bigger how do you think that would have affected you personally? I know it's hard to judge a company because you're not in the building, but you personally, what type of effect would that have had if you were still in sales during COVID?
1: Um, I think one of the, the ways that I really thrived in sales was face-to-face interactions and actually meeting with people at their restaurant, business, dealership, wherever. And, and with that going away, you're making phone calls, emails, you really lose that personal touch. And, you know, when I think about when a company is potentially facing some financial hardships, they're going to look at things that they can get rid of and skim off the top. So if I owned a company personally, and this is not, you know, to to say you shouldn't advertise because advertising is incredibly important, but if you're facing financial hardship, you're going to start skimming that advertising budget a little bit, if not take it away completely. So, um, it really worked out where I I moved to this position and we'll get to that a little bit more in a little bit. But um, I think that if I stayed, I would have had many clients call me and be like, I gotta take my schedule off. And then, you know, already kind of struggling to get by because things were getting difficult, budgets were getting raised, you do well. It's like, well, what can you do for me now? And that's just kind of the sales in general. But uh, if I stayed, I think it would have probably I don't think I would have stuck around too much longer. <laughs> I
0: feel you. Yeah, no, it, The, the str- you mentioned the grind of the struggle. It only turns it up 10, 15, 20, however you want to judge how much more difficult it would have gotten. I hope this isn't a stretcher for the segue into this next conversation about your career because some will look at your music career and because it is an art form, and I don't think that's being too pretentious when we talk about media versus songs and music, that in some ways you are selling yourself, but your performance and especially locally, we'll say, hey, Tim Forbes can do this. Let's go through the music career, Uh, how it started and how we've watched this now evolve. I remember you were just ripping and now you're taking gigs across Central New York and across upstate New York. We're going to have Tim share that story with us coming up. But first, got to give love to the people that make this podcast possible. We hope that you can go out and support these great people. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. And new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL game to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 518 to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 518-518. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And our friends over at Lily and David fine jewelers located Route 50, the shops of Wilton. That's my spot where I bought my engagement ring years ago. Now, man, the time is flying by that she, my wife, Jordan, went from girlfriend to fiance to wife. It all happened thanks to the friends and I call them family at times, man, because it feels like they're so connected. Those big moments in your life, that engagement ring, the wedding band that I wear every single day, the wedding, baby number one, baby number two, all those moments, the staff at Lily and David Fine Jewelers, I'm about have to share with them. Shout out to Alyssa and David and Tammy and Jacob and everybody over there, man, sending the Christmas cards, the holiday cards and more. It's been so cool to build this relationship with them over the years and to see so many great things happen. Now you can have that same story too. Guys, if you're looking to pop the question, buy the engagement ring at Lily and David Fine Jewelers. A family-owned and operated business that will help you make that big decision. You want to work with people like this, man. And if maybe you're already married, you still got to find a way to celebrate that anniversary, celebrate that birthday, the holiday season, and more. It all can happen right now at Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Stop in Route 50, the Shops of Wilton. You'll say what's up to Alyssa and David. Great selection. I'm actually going to be heading in there next Friday. No event going on. Nothing's I'm just saying hello, swinging in. Maybe if now my wife finds out I'm going to be in there, maybe I'll be buying something. And maybe that'll happen for you as well. So Lily and David Fine Jewelers, Route 50, the shops of Wilton. Check them out on social media. Facebook is their spot, Lily and David Fine Jewelers. We stop in. Tell me you heard about Gaz's story from right here on Getting There with Gaz. All right, Tim, finish off that story for us, man. How did it happen? How did this music career take off?
1: I am incredibly lucky just from a standpoint of central New York to, to be where I am right now. Um, I mean, we're going back quite a ways. We're going back to seventh grade. Uh, My buddy Connor had a really cool guitar even going back further than that. My dad bought me like a mini like legitimate acoustic guitar when I was relatively young. And uh, I think there was like a, a, a tape that went, you remember those old Esteban commercials? Yes. Remember that guy <laughs> with like the cowboy hat and the long hair and the fingernails are like three inches long each. Um, I don't think it was him, but that just <laughs> reminded me <laughs> was was of that it was type him. of video of like, learning, oh, this is a G chord and this is an A chord and this is how you tune your guitar. And I watched it and I was like, this is really cool, but I never really got into it. And that guitar ended up in my closet collecting dust. Uh So fast forward to seventh grade and my buddy had this guitar and I was like, well, that's really cool. And he was showing me some of the things that he could do with it. And, uh, I was like, all right, I think I really want to start doing this a a little more seriously and maybe take lessons and, and really take some time to learn how to play guitar. And, uh, I got one for my, for Christmas, I think, or my birthday, one of the holidays, and it was just a, a relatively cheap Fender Squire starter guitar. I still remember exactly what it looks like it was black um just the standard electric guitar and started playing it and uh my first song i ever learned was radio by alkaline trio it's a pretty simple song but uh as i got into it more uh we started performing just like things like memories dance in eighth grade we played uh you know a small set there for a variety show we played that too like a talent show and then um I got uh, an acoustic guitar, I think, in ninth or tenth grade, and that was like my baby. That was, you know, I that's that's when I really started to learn and and uh, get some confidence. Started like writing some stuff. That looking back now, I was like, oh my god, it's the most basic, awful song I've ever created in my life. But um, it really wasn't until college where I started to take things more seriously. And I think, you know, that's that's a great point when I started realizing or coming to the realization that I wasn't going to play basketball anymore. I was like, well, you know, I'm a decent guitar player. Maybe I can do something with this. So uh, I started playing some open mics and started playing at the college a little bit for some people and uh, girls in my dorm room. And, uh, (laughs) and then uh, the open mic thing really broke out. I started playing more so back home in Oswego Uh, my buddy, John McConnell, who's one of my biggest mentors in music, he's a local, uh, musician around Oswego Syracuse and and kind of the surrounding areas. He's pretty well known, uh, started inviting me to play more. And we started playing on a night. It was like a Wednesday night. It was taco night. I made posters for it with my graphic design background that I had a little bit at Lemoyne for some advertising classes I took. And, uh, that's when I really gained confidence as a performer. Like, I, I think I might be able to do this. And if you look back, or if I look back to that seventh grade kind of snotty nose kid that just had a, an idea that he wanted to get a guitar. And then you said, you know, several years from now, you're going to be performing for people and they're going to be paying you. I'd have been like, you're out of your mind, but I got that confidence through open mics and then I started booking small gigs like, Oh, the pub at Lemoine wants you to play. And those weren't paid gigs, but they still got my name out there a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I started playing some more open mics around the area, which again, aren't paid gigs, but it's exposure, which at that point, it's cool to play for exposure. Now (laughs) I don't really play for exposure, but at the time it worked out. And, uh, and, and really it's, probably one of the most rewarding things that I ever did was pick up a guitar and learn how to play. I taught myself, which is, you know, kind of a feat in itself, but um, it's my escape. Cause especially during the pandemic, like it was hard, man, like working from home was a blessing for sure. Um, but, but it got to a point where it was like, man, I'm working from home and then I'm home and I can't even go to the grocery store because I have to come home and wipe down my groceries with antibacterial wipes So that's, you know, I started gigging a little bit more as time went on COVID shut everything down. I was gigging quite a bit at that time, but once COVID started to wean down a little bit and and people started going out a little bit more, that's when things really picked up. And now I'm at a point where I'm playing probably six, seven times a month, if not more, I had a stretch in during the summer where I played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and, uh, you know, I have a, a solid career at my current company, but this is my opportunity to really do what I'm passionate about and make music and show people my art and and at the same time, play songs that they want to hear. And uh, one of the, the best compliments I've received as a performer, um, even though I'm playing other people's stuff as a cover artist, for the most part, uh, someone came up to me and they're like, man, you're like a human jukebox. Like... You can play from all sorts of decades and we yell out a song you probably know it and uh it's been incredibly rewarding man but but i'm i'm very lucky to be where i am right now and i i still sometimes pinch myself like am i really doing this like it's opened up some some big doors for for different opportunities not only just musically but for my career um, playing private gigs for companies around the area that might potentially need some help in sales for, you know, what I do now. And, uh, I came out with a song during COVID that, uh, was played on the radio recently with 95X, which is a sister station of the score 1260, where I used to work, where we used to work. And, uh, it's crazy, man. Like I, I just love it. It's, it's, Probably one of my biggest passions and uh, just seeing people when I'm playing at the bar, if they're tapping their foot or kind of bopping their head to the beat, like they may not be clapping after every song, which I don't really care about that. But I know it's getting in there somehow. And, uh, you know, sometimes they ask for original stuff and it's like, oh, my gosh, to, to for you to say like, hey, will you play Young and Dumb, which is my single? Like, man, that's like... As a musician, that's literally the most amazing feeling in the world is for someone to ask for your actual music that you wrote in your bedroom when no one else was around and you're struggling to figure out, oh, this this lyric doesn't make sense. This doesn't rhyme. I don't know if I really want to add a bridge. All those different things that factor in as a musician to, to have someone say, hey, play your original songs. It's like, man. You don't know you just made my night probably my week maybe my year (laughs) a self-taught
0: musician who is now making money getting paid to do what he loves that's one of the big reasons i wanted you on this because there's so many people now that are going to find their passion that are going to go for something and you did it and by the way if you're watching on our visual side if you want to watch tim in person he's got a bunch of gigs coming up here in september and this fall so it's underneath here on the info if you're listening on our audio side just click the episode info there are his gigs right there Pause the episode if you need to, to write them down, add them to your phone, go see this guy in person. Now, usually I only close with one question. I think I'm going to break some broadcasting rules here because you shouldn't ask a two-part question, it's fine. but you, your life is so unique. I think it's fair to do these both audiences. The best career advice. Let's start with music. If it, there's a young musician listening, what advice would you offer them to start their career? And for someone who might be in media sales, whether it be in that traditional media format you worked in, in the radio side, whether it's this non-traditional media format we're in now with podcast, YouTube, let's do musician advice first for young students and then media sales for young students to close this out.
1: Um, so it's going to sound super cliche as a musician, but uh, it's hard. It's it's difficult. You're going to want to give up. Your your fingers are going to hurt. You're going to break a string trying to tune to a different tuning to play a Goo, Goo doll song, something like that. Uh, there were times when I was like, man, I really I hate this. Like, it's did I hate it? Really, no. But I was frustrated, and if I gave up, I wouldn't have be afforded these opportunities that I have now. So, as cliche as it sounds, John Cena style, like never give up. Like, really it. take it seriously. Like, if you want to practice and you want to play and you want to get good, you got to practice. You got to put the work in. Um, you know, I, I'm I can play a lot of music, I have my own stuff, but I still play my guitar for at least 45 minutes a day. And and sometimes I don't touch my guitar for three days, but that's just kind of the ebbs and flows of things. Um, as a, a media sales or an account executive, that's tough. It's, it's almost the same thing, like don't give up, but I don't wanna be that cliche. I'd say, uh, don't be afraid to hear the word no. I think that's really important because uh, someone told me, and this also is super corny, um, hearing no means yes is just right around the corner. That's not always the case. You can hear no 95 times before you hear a yes. But um, but but don't be afraid to, to hear the word no, because you're going to make calls. You're probably going to disrupt people's days. You're probably going to be ignored or hung up on. That's just kind of a rite of passage. Um but there's gonna be that opportunity where someone gives you their time and it's worthwhile. And and that's another thing is uh, follow up, time kills all deals. Um, It's really important to to make sure, I live under the motto in sales that, I'm gonna get this probably wrong the first time. Um, It's better to be not, no, it's better to be known and not needed than um, needed and not known. Um, meaning if, if someone has an advertising need and they have no idea who you are, they're not going to call you, they're going to call maybe a competitor or something. But if you call someone and they're like, ah, we're not really ready for that yet, but Hey, uh, drop off a card. When something does come up, you're going to be top of mind and you're going to get that business, or at least have the opportunity to earn that business. So those are really my two pieces of advice. Um, don't give up and and really just be ready for the grind. It's media sales. It's not going to come easy to you. You have to really put the effort in.
0: I love that last one in particular, too. It's a little new, fresh twist on. So many people like to use it an excuse of, oh, it's all about who you know. No, no. It's about who knows you. And you yeah. add that right at the end there. It's all about who knows you and how you get yeah. your name out there and how you have that type of presence, that interruption, whether it be sales, whether it be music, whether it be sports, whatever it might be. Tim Forbes, it has been awesome to reconnect. It has been far too long. Watching you crush it with the music stuff and the sales stuff, man, from afar and out here in the Capital Region has been so exciting. We are long overdue some drinks somewhere to watch some WWE and pro wrestling. Thank you for doing this, man, and keep crushing I'm so excited to hopefully get some more people out to some shows here who are listening to this podcast who haven't seen you in person yet, man, especially that Central New York audience. Get out there and see my guy Tim, man.
1: Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate the platform. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick pitch. Tim Ford's Music, Facebook, Instagram. Give me a follow. Hopefully see some faces down the road.
0: That's sales right there for you. (laughs) Sales 101. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you. Thanks, buddy.